Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We want to hear from your word. We want you to speak to us, not only from the scriptures, but as your spirit makes them alive in our hearts, so that our hearts will burn within us, much like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, as they met with Jesus. We do pray this morning that you would give much wisdom and grace, for we speak of things that we know very little of, and yet you are able to instruct us. And so we pray that you would, for Jesus' sake, amen. You may be seated. Our scripture passage is Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. You'll find that on page 979 of your pew Bible. We have been looking at uh, going through the book of Ephesians and sort of stopped for four weeks, little series on marriage most recently, but we're moving along now and looking at another arena of life, and that is the arena of parenting, of the relationship between child and parent. I don't know if you've ever been asked to speak on something of which you know very little, but that's sort of how I feel uh, oftentimes, not only in terms of marriage, but also in terms of parenting. But my job is simply to say what the Scriptures say and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. You may notice that this section here is a very small paragraph, merely four verses. There are volumes and volumes of books written on parenting, and Paul gives four small statements to it. And we might say, Paul, please give us more. But there's a lot in here that will go a long way in terms of ordering the way in which our families function and will bring great blessing into our lives if we will merely follow them. So let me read here Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you in the land and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. On a number of occasions in campus ministry, I would get phone calls from parents, usually mothers. And they would call and say, this is my situation. I have this son or this daughter at your university. And I would like very much if you would seek them out. And so I would agree and get their information. And then the conversation would continue on. And they would tell me more about how their child had wandered away from the faith. And before long, I had a crying mother on the phone saying, I'm just not sure where things went wrong. There are no guarantees in parenting, are there? There's no guarantee that everything's going to work out perfectly. Even if you are to parent one child and parent the other child in the same exact way and you find that one child seems to follow all the right ways and knows the Lord, does all the right things, and the other child seems to go in the opposite direction. There are no guarantees. We cannot predict what's going to happen with our children. But what we can do is be faithful. And that's merely what Paul is asking us to do here and what the Lord is asking us to do. He doesn't call upon us to play the role of the Holy Spirit and work within our children's hearts and make them into believers and make them into followers of Christ. But what he does say is, Be faithful. That's Paul's concern 
here. Paul's concerned that Christian parents not lose sight of their obligations to their children and that children's not lose, children not lose sight of their obligation to their parents. Now, Paul knows that the most basic unit God created is the family. And he's giving instruction here that's not merely rooted in pragmatism, things that work, things that don't work, but rather actually taking a step back, taking us a step back to get a broader picture of the way in which God has ordered the family and what his purposes are for the family. Because you see, God has decided from the very beginning that he would work through the family to accomplish his purposes. And so before we actually seek to understand principles of parenting, rules of parenting, then what we need to see is how God has ordered the family. And what he has declared is that he is at work in the family. And we get that first and foremost way back in the book of Genesis, chapter 17, where God has called out a particular family for himself. It's the family of Abraham. And he's made special promises to Abraham and his family. And when he established his covenant to be Abraham's God, to bless Abraham, and to be a bless, that Abraham would be a blessing to the nations, he added on this. He said in verse 7 of Genesis 17, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. What's God saying? He's saying, I promise Abraham that I will be your God. But I'm also making the promise that I'm going to be the God of your children and of your grandchildren and of your great-grandchildren and so on and so on and so on. God promises to be at work in the midst of the family. And so what he goes on to declare there in verses 9 and 10 is that the children of believers are to receive the sign of God's covenant promises which was circumcision in the Old Testament and baptism in the New Testament. In other words, God says, your children belong to me. I have established a relationship with them from the very beginning, so much so that I'm putting the sign of my covenant promises upon them. And the rest of the Bible is an outworking of that promise given to Abraham. So much so that when we come to the book of Acts and Pentecost, when this great outpouring of the Spirit takes place and the people are saying, what must, we mu- what must we do? And Peter responds by saying, you must repent and be baptized. Why? He says, because the promise is for you and for your children. For you and for your children. That same promise given to Abraham stands today. That parents who trust in the Lord Jesus can know that they have the promise of God that He will be the God of my children. Now they certainly have a responsibility to respond, but God is making a promise. I am at work in your family from the very beginning. Sometimes I think Christian parents assume that God does not have a relationship with their children until such time as their children reach what we often call the age of accountability and make a decision for Jesus. But God says, no, that's not true. I'm at work from the very beginning. 
I'm at work in your family now. And these are the ways that I promise to be at work if you will follow me. And so what Paul does is give us, you might say, two guide rails. One is God's covenant commands, and the second is covenant blessings. And I want to look at both of those in terms of the commands and blessings to children and the commands and blessings to parents. And so first I want to speak to the children and youth for a minute. So if you're, if you're still living in your parents' home and under their authority and they are responsible for you, I want to speak to you for a few minutes because God has made covenant promises to you and he wants you to follow his commands. Now what are his commands? The first is this, he says, uh, here in verse 1 of Ephesians, obey. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Follow their leading. Follow their direction. The whole of your life is to be lived under their instruction. And it's in the Lord, or you might say in the faithfulness, in faithfulness to the Lord. That is, if you have come to know Christ in faith, then certainly you want to follow Jesus. And when Jesus commands you, obey your parents, then you will. Because Paul says, this is right. Or you might say, righteous. This is righteousness for a child. Now, every child growing up wants to exert their independence. And increasingly so over time. They want to grow in independence. And in some sense, that's proper and right because you want them to grow up and mature and lead the home and live life on their, on their own under the authority of Jesus. But children here sometimes sinfully want to exert their independence. They hide from parents. They argue with parents. They seek to manipulate parents. They try to pit one parent against the other parent to get their way. Sin is at work here. So at points in your life, you will think that God's instruction to obey your parents is wrong. Mom and dad do not know what they're talking about. They don't know the right way. I know the right way. This is what I want to do, and I'm convinced that it's right. And God says, you need to obey. Because even if you think your parents don't fully grasp what's going on in your situation, especially thinking of teenagers, if you don't think your parents grasp what's going on with your situation, you need to realize that actually they know more than you. Whether you believe it or not, it's like those those human mazes where you go out into a cornfield and someone has cut a maze and you are in the middle of the maze and you can't see, should I go right or should I go left here? And you think, well, everybody seems to be going right, so I'll go to the right. But maybe if you were up on a tower and you could look down on the maze, you would see, no, the right way is actually the opposite direction. And your parents are able to see from a higher point of view than you are because they've already been there. They've experienced many of the things that you have experienced and gone through it. And what God is calling you to do is to trust your parents and to allow them even at times to cross your will. You know what that means? Your will wants to go in a certain direction. You want to do a certain thing and... And your parents come along and say, no, you need to be going in the other direction. And you submit to it. And you let them cross your will. 
Now, I'll just tell you this. The command doesn't say that your parents are always right. The command says, obey your parents for this is right. Why? Because it will be increasingly difficult for you to understand how to submit to the authority of Jesus if you cannot learn to submit to the authority of your parents. And so what Jesus is telling you here and now is that what you need to do is learn to submit to your parents, learn to submit to their authority so that you learn to submit to Him. And in doing that, He says, you honor your father and your mother. That's the command to honor your father and mother. Now, you do that now by obeying. One day, hopefully, you will do that by living as a mature adult. So if you're, if you're a teenager now, the goal that God has for you is to live as a mature Christian adult in the future. One who submits to Jesus. And God has you on a launching pad now to send you out into that world to live under the authority of Jesus. And He says you won't be able to do it until you first learn to obey your parents. After all, isn't that the same spirit that Jesus had? The spirit of submission and obedience to follow after what His heavenly Father said? Isn't that, after all, what is the guiding principle over all of these arenas of life that Paul is talking about? Remember, back in chapter 5, verse 21, he speaks of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit, and he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so, yes, wives submit to their husbands, and children submit to their parents, because it's part of the Spirit-filled life. This is the life that Jesus lived. And He calls you to do the same thing. But there's also a blessing involved if you do. Verse 2 says this, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Now remember, God gave these commandments in the middle of the wilderness. God's people had come out of slavery in Egypt, and now they are in the wilderness at Mount Sinai, and God gives this command, and it comes with a promise. And the promise is that if you follow this, it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. In other words, when you get out of the wilderness and you get into this land flowing with milk and honey, things will go well. You will live long in the land and there will be great blessing. Why? Because when the, the authority structure of the family works right, there's peace and there's harmony. When it doesn't work right, you have destruction and chaos. And Paul says here, according to the Lord, if you will trust me, there are spiritual blessings to be had because your parents will lead you towards the Lord. He says not only that, but there are relational blessings because you'll learn to enjoy life in your family. You'll learn to enjoy your siblings. You'll learn to enjoy your parents when you stop fighting against them. And not only that, but they're using physical blessings, he says, of growing up in the land. And by obeying parents and honoring them, you will enjoy great blessings in life. The gr blessing of growing into being a wise person, 
being protected from harm. I don't know how many times I was protected from either hurting myself or hurting someone else when my parents said to me, no, you cannot do that. Or maybe it's blessings of learning to be responsible. Blessings of learning to see the Christian life lived out before you. The blessings of loving relationships. So this doesn't promise that everything's going to go smoothly for you. But it is a promise that you will be blessed on the whole in ways that you cannot imagine if you will simply honor your father and mother and obey. Now, let me move on here to fathers. Verse uh, 4 tells us some instructions to fathers, which is interesting, I think, because why just fathers? Why not fathers and mothers? Well, maybe the answer is simply because fathers are the head of the home, as we've already seen from chapter 5 of Ephesians. But also because the tone of the family, believe it or not, is actually set by the father. The tone of the family is set by the father. Is it a place of fear? Is it a place of oppression? Is it a place where father is absent? And therefore, because of that, he is inadvertently or indirectly setting the tone by letting everybody else set the tone. The father is the one who is called by the Lord to lead, to lead sacrificially for his bride and to lead sacrificially for his family. And so the father sets the tone. Now, what are the commands here? Actually, there are two. One is negative and one is positive. The negative one is this. Do not provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke. In other words, don't exasperate them. Don't so wear them out by your oppressive leadership that they grow angry under your leadership. Now, fathers, I think this is our sinful tendency, and the Apostle Paul knows it. And he also writes even to the Colossians a similar command, and he adds the words, lest they be discouraged. Lest they be discouraged. Now, I can remember a friend in high school whose father was so driven to have children who were great at athletics. His son was an overachieving football player, became an all-state running back, went off to junior college, but he could never quite make it at the Division I level. But his daughter was a great athlete in her own right. But if she didn't score enough points, she was out that night shooting baskets until late at night. Or she was working on her hitting for softball. And after a while, you could see in her own eyes this This person had so much potential to be a great athlete, was beginning to retreat. He became angry and resentful at her father. And all the joy and love, not only of the game, but her love for her father grew dim. And that's the picture that the Apostle Paul is talking about here. Do not uh, provoke your children to anger, he says. Now, there are a number of ways that we need to be aware of that we can do this, fathers. One is being overly controlling. Overly controlling. Sometimes we do this for our own comfort and agenda. You know what it's like? You work hard. 
you come home, there are responsibilities at home, the house needs uh, uh, attending to in some ways, maybe the yard does, you have your wife to care for, there are children running around, and maybe you just want 30 minutes of peace and quiet. And so you clamp down, and you become overly controlling, because I want my agenda. Not only that, but oftentimes it's our reputation that makes us overly controlling. We think about how our children represent us. Maybe it's in the grocery store. Maybe it's on the athletic field. Maybe it's the way in which they play their instrument or handle themselves at school. And we're frustrated because they are not reflecting us the way we want to be reflected. And so we become domineering and controlling and want to clamp down on their behavior. Why? Because I have an idolatry of myself. And not because I'm wanting to lovingly discipline them. There are others, other ways that we provoke them, maybe comparisons. Maybe we compare siblings to siblings. You're not like your brother. You're not like your sister. Maybe even we even compare them to ourselves. You know, when I was your age, I could do this. So comparisons are sometimes made. Sometimes it's coddling them. Not allowing them to grow up to maturity. We want to hold on so tightly to them that we don't let them grow up. And before long, they're so frustrated that they push away as far as they can and they run the opposite direction, like the prodigal son who runs off into the far country. All because we've, we've sought to coddle them and keep them young and not let them grow up into the mature people that God's calling them to be. Maybe it's actually indifference. Maybe I just don't care to spend that much time with them. And it provokes them to anger because they're dying for our attention. Maybe it's that we're inconsistent in our discipline. Maybe we're inconsistent in keeping our word, our promises that we've made. And then finally, maybe we fail to recognize the uniqueness of each child. And we want to treat everyone the same. And we don't recognize that they're there are strengths and weaknesses about each one. And, and this one loves music. And this one loves art. And this one loves sports. And, and instead of clamping down and saying, now you need to pursue my agenda that I've set out for you, but allowing them to flourish in ways that God has made them and gifted them. Now we could go on and on because fathers make many mistakes and certainly I am one of them. But there are also here some positive commands positive commands that he gives to us he says here bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the lord bring them up it's actually the same word used in chapter 5 verse 29 to speak of husbands nourishing their wives we're to bring them up we're to help grow them up bring them up is actually god's plan for saying get them out of the house this is the goal, is for them to be mature adults who leave the home, who can then take on husbands and wives, who can have children themselves, who can lead mature lives, who can have jobs, who can be good church members, who can follow the Lord Jesus in courageous ways. This is the goal. Maturity. Christian maturity. And he says, bring them up. One of the best ways that we can bring them up is to build them up with our speech. 
to speak of them well, to tell them how much we think of them, how proud we are, how much we love them, and encourage them with our speech. Because they actually, actually the opposite will take place. If we provoke them to anger and discourage them, we'll actually lose a voice eventually. And no matter how many instructions that we give, they will not have ears to hear. But if we build them up with our speech, then they will follow us. And he gives two ways here. One, through discipline. That's what he says. Bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. In other words, discipleship. Discipleship. We want them to follow after us. We want them to be shaped in their character and in their faith. And the tone in which we do our discipline ought to be the same gracious tone, loving tone that the Heavenly Father exercises His discipline in our lives too. And so it's in part correction of wrongdoing, but positively it's about modeling the Christian life. It's about encouraging them to continue on and press forward. To tell them of the wonderful things that we see in their lives. How the fruit of the Spirit is being worked out in them. And all of these things become shaping influences on them. Secondly, there's also an instruction, he says. We might think of that in terms of commands. I remember teaching through the Ten Commandments to college students. And interestingly, they told me that that was one of their favorite series. And I would have thought otherwise. But the reason that they gave is because they did not know what God wanted from them. They didn't know what a loving, obedient child of God was supposed to look like because they had never been taught. And now they understood here is what it means to love God with all my heart, to put Him first, to honor my parents, to love people rather than destroy people, to be content with what I have rather than coveting. And so he wants us to give them clear instructions in the commands, but also point them to the promises of the covenant. The promises that God gives. Promises of forgiveness. Promises of adoption into His family. Promises of being changed more and more into His image. Promises of glory that's to come. So that what we're actually doing is giving our children spiritual eyes to see. How are they going to endure hardship when they grow up? How are they going to take it when friends at school turn their back on them and begin to gossip about them? How are they going to handle success, whether it's in school or athletics or the arts? Friends, if we give them spiritual eyes to see well through the Scriptures at every circumstance of life, then they will be able to meet those things through faith in Jesus and be able to walk faithfully with Him. So he says, give them instruction. Now, <clears throat> one last point here is that we're to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, he says. I said last time that the husband's authority over the wife is not his own, but it's a derived authority. And the same is true for fathers and for mothers. Our authority is not our own. It belongs to the Lord Jesus. And when our children see us submitting to Jesus, putting ourselves beneath Him, 
following him courageously, submitting to him in ways that are costly to us. And they say, now that's the person that I want to follow because they're doing the same thing that I'm being called to do, which is to obey. And when that happens, there's great blessing. Well, I think we're out of time here, but there are blessings that aren't very clear from this passage, but from the whole book of Ephesians. One is the blessing of our own sanctification as parents. You know as well as I do that it's one of the hardest jobs that there is. And the more we submit to Jesus in it, the more He makes us like Himself. But secondly, there's the blessing of Him actually dwelling in our families. Is that not the promise that He gave to the church back in chapter 2? In Him you were also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Families that seek to live this way have Christ dwelling in their midst and He gives blessing upon blessing, spiritual blessings that are being poured out upon both child and parent so that together we begin to grow more and more into His image. He's making, in other words, those healthy families that we talked about. Now, if you're a parent, then you're familiar with failure just like I am. The last blessing that we could talk about is the fact that there's the blessing of the Gospel. We fail. Our children fail. And yet there's forgiveness and mercy and reconciliation and restoration in Jesus. And that's the kind of families that we want to build that are healthy that say, Son, I failed you. Mom, I failed you. Jesus, I failed you. And then be able to extend forgiveness and receive forgiveness. Because that's what Jesus gives to us. And when that begins to take place, then, then children are able to obey and fathers and mothers are able to live with their children, leading them lovingly towards Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we know that You are the perfect parent and Your Son is the perfect child. We confess that we are not. We confess as parents that we are not what we ought to be. That as children, we were not the kind of children that we should be. And even as children today, we confess that we do not obey our parents as we ought. But we know that Your desire and delight is to conform us more and more to Your family's image, the way You love Your Son, the way Your Son loves You. And so we pray for Your grace to be at work in each one of us. To that end, for Jesus' sake, Amen.